Cheryl and I came across a, a story yesterday as we were, well, as Cheryl was rummaging through Facebook and then he said, oh, you have to read this. So I did. Um, it's a story from 60, 70 years ago. And when we use this word story, we immediately think, like, made up. But this is something that really happened and was attested to at the time. Um, in fact, I think, it was, I think it was on the radio at the time when it happened. And uh, involved a man called A.A. Allen. Some of you might have heard of him. And uh, I'll just read it as, as it's written down. Um, it's accompanied by some really old photos because obviously they didn't have uh, social media then, they didn't have the internet, and they didn't have TV. And it says, um, during A.A. Allen's healing revival in Birmingham, Alabama, a mother from Knoxville brought her son for prayer. David was almost three years old and had been called the most underdeveloped boy ever in Tennessee. He was paralysed on his right side, blind in one eye, deaf and mute. He couldn't even crawl because his limbs were like twisted sticks and his feet were deformed. All total, he had 26 major diseases or defects in his body. His mother had been told by one doctor, only God can help your boy now. David's mother took the statement literally. When she heard that Alan would be holding meetings in Birmingham, she knew she had to get there. As a single mother in 1959 with a special needs child, that was not an easy task. Although it cost her all that she had, she drove the 250 miles alone with her boy to get him to the revival. What happened at the meeting in Birmingham is called the greatest miracle of A.A. Allen's ministry. As Allen held the boy in his arms, he wept over him. Suddenly, two bright blue pupils appeared where once there had only been a milky grey of blindness. The boy's limbs began to morph like putty into the correct shape. His tongue, which had hung out of his mouth limply before, snapped inside his mouth, and he began to call out his first words, Mama, Mama. And when he caught sight of her, he took his first steps to go and embrace his mother. He was completely healed. However, the Lord did not stop there. God wasn't going to leave anything unfinished. The tent was full of people with significant needs. Spontaneously, with no one praying for them, every person in the wheelchair stood up altogether, totally healed. Every person on the stretcher got up the same way. People began running to the front. 
so they could throw their hearing aids onto the altar. Then came the glasses. Then came the walking sticks for the blind. Every single person was healed that night for the glory of God. God's glory was shown in that tent. You know, when I read stories and testimonies like that, I hunger for it and desire it in our midst. And you know, the, there's such a weakness in us that wants to follow up that and say, well, look what God did here, or look what he did there, and I know a story of this, and this happened to me once. And, and we, we kind of make it all smaller. And we rob God of his glory. You know, I, I think when, when I, I hear stories like that, we, we had the, the privilege a few years ago of listening to Richard Roberts share the stories of his dad's ministry, Oral Roberts. And you hear things like that and you think, I want, why, why does that not happen so much today? Why do we not see that in our own lives? And you know, I, 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 I've been searching with the Lord, why is that? You see, we talk about a lot about how amazing our ministries and churches and We've all got our heroes in the Christian world. But the truth is, we're not seeing what these guys saw. For all our pride, we've gone backwards. And I, I wonder why that is. And, you know, it's something that I talk to the Holy Spirit a lot about. And, there's, there's several reasons, but I think the main reason is that we've, we don't understand humility anymore. We've learned that you can build a reputation through self-promotion and pride. And the problem with that is it mitigates against the glory of God. So we desire to see that glory in our midst. And yet we act in ways that repel it. And I, I think that's the challenge of our time. You know, everybody wants to be famous for five minutes now. Everybody wants to be a celebrity or attached to a celebrity or follow a celebrity. The problem is in the kingdom, the most powerful person in the kingdom will not look like a celebrity. The person closest to Jesus in the kingdom will probably be unrecognized.
And Joyce used this phrase, didn't she? That, like, basic Christianity 101. And when we see Jesus' teachings and we see what Paul said, this is Christianity 101. Humility comes before much that God has for us. This area of humility, I think, is just, it is so precious to the Lord. So precious to him. And, it, and it's so holy to him that he gives it first place. Last week I, I looked at a passage from Philippians chapter 2 and I'm going to look at it again but in order to keep it fresh I'm going to read it from a different version. I'm going to read it from a paraphrase which is the message. We, we, we read it from a more literal translation last week. But let me just read this to you. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you've got a heart and if you care, then do this. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't try and sweet-talk your way to the top. I don't know how we do that today. Because everything's stacked. For you to try and do that. How do you get noticed without that? And yet God says your gift makes a way for you. Maybe we need to trust God more. Put yourself aside. Instead, help others to get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. And forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, here's the, the passage that we're all familiar with. Which usually starts, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient life death 
And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high. Because of his obedience, because he humbled himself, God promoted him. And honoured him far above anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the king of all to the glorious honour of God the Father. That's who we follow. The one who traded heaven's diadem for thorns. And just remembering from last week, and, and Joyce said it too, what, what is this humility thing that I'm talking about? It's not weakness. It's not let yourself be walked all over. In many ways, yourself doesn't come into it. That's just so difficult, isn't it? Ourself not coming into it. Humility is the giving of all glory and credit to God. All of it. All of it. Not even a bit reflected for you. I, I just find it so sad where we've got ourselves to. You know, this is what Jesus intended. He, he intended that the more we become aware of the presence and glory of God in our lives, the more we become aware that it's all him doing it. That he's given us everything we have. And so I, I come back to that question. That, that testimony from the A. Allen meeting where God just healed people. Where, where does that type of anointing come from? You see... The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that God's no respecter of persons. And, and when I look at people and, and read about people and study people who've walked in anointings like this, they all say the same thing. They say they're not special and it's available to anyone. So, so where is it? If we are... If we are faced with men and women of God who saw things that are on a biblical scale and they say and they tell us that they're not special and this is available to anyone, there must be things that are getting in the way. I was uh, reading something 
I guess it was probably before Christmas. And uh, it was written by somebody, many of you will know of his ministry. It was written when I think his ministry was kind of right at the peak in the early to mid-2000s. And it was uh, written by Benny Hinn. And he was writing about what the anointing costs to walk in, in the anointing of God and, and see that glory. And, and Cheryl and I recently, um, we're doing a, an online school at the moment, Cheryl and I. Uh, the idea is so that when we take people on staff in future that they would do that as part of their induction. So we thought we'd, we'd, we'd check it out. And on this online school, one of the, the guy who leads it talks about when he went along to a Benny Hinn meeting. And he was, he was very ill at the time. And one of the things that he said is that before he ever got near the building in the car park, he felt the weight and the presence of God. And he, could, he struggled to stand and walk to the building. Where does that anointing come from? What, what's, what's the problem here? Is God just random? Because if he's random, that gives us an excuse, doesn't it? Because he hasn't been random here to the extent we want him to be random. And yet God says, I'm no respecter of persons. And he also says, I'm a covenant-keeping God. So if I promised it, I'll keep it. And, and that, that promise doesn't say it doesn't include Sherry or it doesn't include Paul. It includes everyone. So it's not lack of availability. Because if we believe in God at all, it can't be lack of availability or randomness on God's part. Well, isn't God sovereign? Well, yes, he is. But he's used that sovereignty to enter into covenants with us and promises that he intends to keep. So he'll act in line with what he's promised because he can't lie and he can't break his covenant. So it can't be just that he does something in one place and not another. I, I remember, you know, 20 or so years of my life when it seemed that every two or three years, half of England was flying somewhere else in the world because because he wasn't doing it here and he was doing it there. I think that has a lot to do with us. So I'm reading this, this testimony and I'm reading this and Benny and he's talking about the cost of walking in the level of anointing he was walking in then. And, and I, I could say other names. I could say Old Robert. I could say Catherine Kuhlman. Many great men and women of God say the same thing. And they talk about um, what is necessary to see these things right where we are. And, and I touched on some of that before Christmas. 
talking about waiting on God, taking on the time to develop our relationship with the Lord. But this is something that all of them say. Sometimes they vary based on their own personal experience. But this is something that all of them say. In order to see those things like that testimony I read out, there is one big question that God is going to ask you. And I, I think this is at the heart of why we don't see it. To the extent that we want to. And here's the question. Can I trust you with that level of anointing? Can I trust you with that level of anointing? Because it'll destroy you if I can't. Can I trust you with that level of anointing? And what does he mean by that question? It's not that we, we kind of get this, like, we're not like Spider-Man and we get bitten by a radioactive spider and suddenly we can leap tall buildings, climb up walls and spin webs. It, it, and, and so we abuse this power and decide we'll turn it to evil to do bad things. It's not saying, can I trust you in that sort of way? It's saying this, can I trust you to release my glory and will I get all the glory for it? That, that's the real problem. Because we so much want to have that glory. We so much are conditioned and trained to have the fame. Well, won't people come to our church? Won't, won't it build an incredible ministry? If I tell people about it all the time, and I write books and, and do all that sort of stuff. And we could all have, we could have a big conference and thousands would come. And here's the question. Will God get all the glory? Or will we talk about what's happened in our ministry? And I don't think this is an easy challenge at, at any sort of level. You know, this isn't just for the big guys in the Christian world. This is a challenge for all of us at any level. Because God invites all of us into this sort of relationship. For those who will diligently seek him, here is a, he is a rewarder of them. He, he wants to show his glory. That's the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, is to demonstrate the glory of Jesus and, and to draw us into that. But we have to be prepared to make him number one. Not just number one in terms of doing what he asks us to do, but number one in terms of he gets all the glory, all of it. You see, 
there's this link. Uh, it's kind of an undeniable link between humility and power. You would think the two would not go together. But in God's kingdom, humility and power go together. You can't have the power without the humility. And if you have the power and you don't guard your heart, the power will eventually destroy you. I don't mean like full spectacularly in like some have. What I mean by that is it'll corrupt you. you you'll end up chasing your own glory. I think that's why revivals die. We have an incredible propensity to chase our own glory. You know, at the start of that passage from Philippians, it said this, and this is going back to the more literal translation, don't be selfish. Don't, and it, this, is, this is original Greek. Don't try to impress others. Man, I wish we could live that. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. What would the body of Christ be like? What would the world be like if we thought of others as better than ourselves? Well, they're not better. You've missed the point. Think of others as better than yourself. You know, one thing I've noticed over the years is our inability to rejoice and enjoy somebody else's success. Not just in the Christian world, but in the world generally, but particularly in the Christian world. Because the thing that comes in our head is they don't deserve it, I did, and it didn't happen to me. And the truth is, think of others as better than yourself. Prefer them. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in them. It's just not good for male ego, these sort of verses. On Tuesday nights, we're looking at James. And there's a verse towards the end of James. Well, two verses. And this is what it says. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, he yearns jealously for the spirit that lives in us? God jealously yearns for you, 
and he gives more grace. For this reason it says, listen to this, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, so because, because it's a fact that that's the way God relates, he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. That, that's voluntarily come under God so that he gets all the glory. That's what that word humble means. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. So once again, we see this link between humility and the ability to deal with the enemy in your life and other people's lives. The enemy loves it when we try to deal with him out of our own arrogance. Let me take you to another verse, Ephesians 4, verse 2. Always be humble. There, that always be humble. That means no days off when it's all about you. It's about Jesus 24-7. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. I love this. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Oh, man. I just I long for the day when we can do that one. When Jesus has transformed us enough to do that one. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Why do we fall out with each other? Because <laughs> we think of ourselves instead of Jesus. United in spirit means united in his spirit. You know, the more I read these things, the more I read these verses, the more I think, God, you've got a lot of work to do with me. You see, when you're humble, you begin to understand that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would be doing exactly the same thing that that person is doing that's irritating you. If not, you know, we've got that saying, haven't we? If not for the grace of God, it could have been me. Well, that's true. You see, we have to get ourselves back before it's too late to basic Christianity. Get our head out of the stars, out of the fame trip, out of the, the glorifying of man. And back to basic Christian living. I, I heard a lot about basic Christian living when I was a teenager. It involves words that I don't particularly like in my flesh. Like holiness. Gentleness. Humility. Kindness. 
And this is, I'm not quite sure who this quote's from, but it's mainly because I've forgot. It's one of those quotes I wrote down and then I can't remember who said it, but somebody famous, you know, a great man of God. And he said this, if you live a life of humility and lowliness before the Lord, so before God, not before men, a life of humility and lowliness under God, you won't have to beg and plead for the anointing. And it's the anointing that does the work, not the man. So, those two, there's two words that he, he uses together there, Paul, isn't it? Be humble and gentle. Gentleness goes with humility. So we've now got humility goes with power and humility goes with gentleness. And, and he's saying, be gentle people. Not savage people who savage each other. Be gentle people. Deal with your family issues gently. Deal with your enemies gently. Deal with unbelievers gently. Deal with unbelievers gently. Deal with each other faith life gently. He is the one. Deal with those who disagree with you gently. Sorry, I keep coming back to that. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Let's not make everything about us. People these days have so many issues because we've made it all about us. And then we come back to those verses that I read from James. About God resisting the proud and giving grace to the humble. And you know, some people, as, as I've been saying on Tuesday night, some people go, well, we can't get James. And, you know, you can kind of put him on one side and ignore what he says. No, you can't. Because here's the problem. Peter says the same thing. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Dress yourselves, sorry, and all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. Because, why, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another? Why would you want to do that? How, how do you ever win an argument? How do, how do you ever get on in life? Well, here's the point. You do it 
Because here's how God works. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So you've got James saying it, you've got Peter saying it. It must be important. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at right time, he will lift you up in honour. True honour comes from God. The honour of men does not compare with the honour that God gives. So whilst this not this advice that he's giving, this, this thing he's saying might not work in the world system to get you where you need to be, God will do it. God will do it. We need to trust God that he'll put us in the place where he can do it. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of my last point. If you're anything like me, you've already spotted a problem with that. Here's the problem. That some people will not accept. The problem is that God treats different people differently. God treats differently the proud and the humble. And people go, but that's not right. God loves everybody the same because his love's unconditional. I'm not talking about how much God loves you. I'm talking about how God's looking after you. He treats differently the humble and the proud. And he'll say, well, how, how's that fair? Because I just got caught up in all this stuff. And how do you know? How do we know? And all these sort of things. And we, we, we kind of have this problem with, with that. Here's a simple way of looking at it. God is not treating anybody any differently from anybody else. Here's the deal. You're proud, I resist you. You're humble, I give you my grace. Open offer to everybody. Does that make us feel better? He's treating everybody the same now. You see, I, I, I despair of the way we nuance stuff almost to try and trip God up saying he can't be right because he treats people differently. He treats everybody exactly the same, the same covenant, the same principles, the same way. It's up to us how much we're willing to yield to him. The offer is an open offer to everybody. Don't be proud, be humble. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which he also is Christ Jesus. Take it or don't. He's not, he's not choosing. He's not like sovereignly saying one and not the other. He's saying, I have a big problem that I need to deal with in mankind. It's called your heart. Will you help me with this? 
Because if I keep blessing the pride, it's not going to do your hearts any good. So will you go with me? And recognize I'm going to release my grace on the basis of humility. Why? Because I'll get all the glory and I can trust you with it. And the more I trust you with it, the more I can release. Psalm 18, verse 27 says, You rescue the humble, but you bring down prideful eyes. There's something about the way God protects us that's connected to humility as well. If we choose to be people who go, it's down to me, I get all the glory, then the very thing that we use to make or gain the position is the thing that we'll have to rely on when it goes wrong. So did we get there relying on ourselves or did we get there relying on God? You see, that's the problem with the proud. They rely on themselves. That's why it's easy in one sense to dismiss pride and say, well, I haven't got it. And, and that's like this boastful person, you know, that's that TV personality or this person that I know at work or, or whatever. They're the proud people, it's not me. Well, let's rephrase pride. How much do you rely on yourself instead of God? Well, doesn't God just like bless me as I get on with my life? See, that's, that's how a lot of people think. God will just bless me as I get on with my life. That's God's job. He said, I'm a God who blesses. That's what he does. So I'll just get on with my life. And, and he, his job is to bless me and not get in my way. But when it all goes horribly wrong, after I've tried everything that I know to bail me out, I'm going to put it on the prayer chain and ask for help. In the hope that, that enough people will pray to be, that, that it'll be okay. That's pride. Because that's relying on yourself and trying everything yourself and only then turning to God. It's, it's no wonder that we don't get access to the grace we need, is it? If, if we're relying on ourselves. And he, 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 he's, got, he's given us this offer because he loves us, which is rely on me. I will rescue you. I will give you the grace you need. I will release my power through you. And, and this is what I love about that. You will rescue the humble, but you bring down prideful eyes. He will rescue us from our own messes. No matter what we've done, when we've done it, or how we've done it, he will rescue us when we humble ourselves before him and give him the glory for rescuing us. You know, when, when a bad situation turns around, our first thing is, 
It's all God. He gets the glory. Not, well, I made the mess, but I got myself out of it with some careful planning and to go and organisational skills. And a bit of coincidence when that happened. See, God, Jesus gets the glory. Somebody we, we know and we're honoured to, to serve, um, and Bob and I lead as well, is, that, is Heidi Baker. And she has this phrase, which is, when things get really bad, what do you do? You go lower and you go slower. You don't react out of your own energy or your own talent. You go lower, you humble yourself before God and you go slower as he does it and you see him glorified and then you give him the glory. Can I have the worship team back? This is so important, you know. Before Jesus comes back, I want to see in our generation, in our country, some of the things that previous generations have seen. See, my Bible tells me Jesus is coming back for a glorious remnant, a bride. Strikes me that that glorious remnant bride will have seen some of those things that previous generations have seen and better. I don't want to be Jesus coming back and him going like, you were the generation that got left behind. What, what happened from the 1950s? What happened? Didn't you learn? I don't want that. See, when he comes back, I want to be ready to say, come Lord Jesus, because it's all for your glory. All for your glory. Come back, Jesus. All for your glory. Let's just stand. Let's, let's sing this as kind of our own prayer that desire that I'll tell you right now that my flesh doesn't want that my flesh doesn't want the humility stuff my flesh wants some of the glory for me but I want to lay it down so let's lay it down for his glory and ask the Holy Spirit to do work in our hearts